It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 68 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Nick Bracha, Stan Dryav on deck to break down this weekend's UFC fight night that's headlined by Frankie Edgar and Pedro Munoz. And of course, we're going to cover last week's UFC 252, a pretty solid card overall. Nico, motherfucking lie, how are you, buddy? Pretty good, Stan. I'm a busy, busy man, as you know. And my schedule got busier now that I am triple B, three-time, <laughs> three-time winner, defending, reigning, undisputed champion of pick and fights. That said, although my performance was overwhelming, I found UFC 252 Miocic versus Cormier somewhat underwhelming. I'd like to hear what your thoughts are on the, on the whole card. Let's break it down uh, fight by fight. And also, I just want to know how you feel with respect to your, your confidence as someone um, you know who's got professional fight experience, who really does his research. It just it seems like you can't hit the fastball anymore, fella. What's, go- what's going on? Are you okay? I have been dominating you for a year and a half, so us being competitive is new to me. But I need you to understand one important thing. The champion is the one who has 12 rounds in his pocket, not the one that only has 7. You have a long way to go before you're even sniffing double-digit event wins, let alone getting close to the title, Nick. You, you don't win the title because <laughs> you don't win the title because you won round two and three in a five-round title fight. You win the title once you've dominated, once you've taken over, Nick. I've got 12 wins and you've got seven. Now, having said that, I must say, Nick, you're on a three-fight win streak. This is big fucking news. You are making this competitive. And I know that this being competitive to you feels like suddenly everything is... Uh, in your favor and suddenly you're winning but Nick it's just competitive I know that's a step up but it doesn't mean that you're winning it doesn't mean that you have the title I still have the belt around my waist Nick I have another one on my left shoulder for last season I have another one on my right shoulder for the season before that and on top of that Nick the crown rests atop the head of yours truly but having said that, Nick, seriously speaking, you got a serious streak going three events in a row. This has not happened in a long, long time. I am genuinely impressed. You've been whooping ass lately. Dominant, dominant victories. I get to watch dominant, the main events Nick. in peace because I've been locking it up. That's a right. lot of your wins to me have been like, oh, we tied and it's a tiebreaker. And I get really angry because it seems like I lose by percentage points. But these last few cards, dude, you're like Glass Joe against Little Mac, just like flying all over the ring. You're still a little more than halfway there. Keep working on it, buddy. You win the next six events in a row, Nick, and you've got the lead. And then, then I shall give you my crown. I shall give you one of my titles, Nick. Until then, you do have a long way to go. Seriously speaking, Nick, really solid selections lately. Things have been going really well for you. I do think like there's just a lot of, like all the upsets are happening on my picks. It just happens to be happening this way. What are you going to do? I will say one thing, Nick. I invested almost all of my research time last week into the Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic headliner. I made a great breakdown video, if I do say so myself. I spotted literally every aspect of that fight, which ended up being a factor in the actual bout. Daniel Cormier, following his loss to Stipe Miocic on the mic, he was talking about how he didn't expect to be dominated on the cage the way that he was. He didn't expect Stipe Miocic to be able to bully him there, to be able to get double underhooks against that fence. 
But Nick, if he had just watched my breakdown video, if he had just did a little bit of tape study himself for his fight, for his biggest fight of his entire career, he would have known that Stipe Miocic dominated him against the cage every minute they've been there throughout their three fights. That was absolutely a way for Stipe to go. He would have known that actually the smaller cage doesn't benefit him. It benefits Stipe Miocic. He would have known that as soon as Stipe Miocic's back is against that cage, when you're pressing him, he is going to counter with big shots. And he didn't know that, Nick. I did my research. You picked Daniel Cormier, just like the rest of the pundits, just like the rest of the quote-unquote experts, just like the rest of the fighters who can't get past the fact that he's a really good, likable guy. But here's the thing. Stipe Miocic is the better fighter, and Daniel Cormier will remain the bridesmaid to both John Jones and Stipe Miocic, the best light heavyweight in the UFC's history and to the best heavyweight in the promotion's history. What are your thoughts on that well, bout, buddy? Um, congratulations on picking on picking the fight. I think that I think you're oversimplifying why pundits picked Cormier and why I picked Cormier. Go ahead. Um, well, in the in the first fight, he did he did quite well, and he's I really looked to his wrestling ability and his ability in the clinch and his dirty boxing to he's a hard puncher but to create incredible power with his punches similarly to how dan henderson did by essentially using his grappling to get his opponent off balance and to propel them into his fist it worked in the first fight and in the second fight a combination of outboxing him and taking advantage of stipe um overextending so he could get that high crotch um in coming up to the fight daniel was talking about oh bring your wrestling shoes bring your wrestling shoes i thought that Stipe, Stipe really cleaned up his style to be less susceptible uh, to the high crotch and to Cormier's takedowns. I expected Stipe Miocic to spend the better part of the first two rounds underneath Cormier um, and, with, and carrying Cormier's weight on his back and potentially getting choked out. Daniel went for like one takedown. To me, he, he, he looked older. And he looked tired. He looked the way that he did in the in you know from round three and beyond in the um, in the earlier fight. I thought I thought we were going to see as good a Cormier as we've ever seen the Josh Barnett Cormier the the first two rounds of the last Miocic fight Cormier. That's not the that's not the one that we got. And Miocic did everything he could that and, and fought really really smartly um, to sap did not give Cormier opportunities and to sap his gas tank and energy um, to make him, you know, less dangerous. He basically knew he, he knew he neutralized a man that mostly neutralized a man. He still ate a lot of right hands, but he was, he was ready for them. And when he ate those right hands, they were out, they were out in the open. It wasn't shots that he really, like really didn't see, you know, coming. Um, He was just ready. And uh, he was better prepared. He was in better shape, and he made uh, he fought a pre- he Stevie Miocic fought a fairly perfect fight, especially after the first round when he gave up that one takedown. Nick, had you watched my breakdown video, you would have known that Daniel Cormier can't afford to keep going for takedowns in a five round fight. When the last time he fought in a five round fight, he got exhausted. You can't keep going for takedowns in the USADA era in the post-steroid era of the UFC, if he had gone for takedowns from early on in those first two rounds, and I talked about this in the breakdown video, I think I talked about this on the podcast as well, if he had gone for those takedowns, he would have been exhausted by the third round and easy to finish by then. If Daniel Cormier had thrown 300 strikes in the first three rounds like he did in the second fight, 
he was going to be exhausted in the third and fourth rounds. But Daniel Cormier was smarter in that way. Daniel Cormier decided, I can't keep putting out that many strikes and win the fight. I can't go for that many takedowns and win this fight because he will finish me late. So Daniel Cormier changed his tactics. He realized that he needs to have a lot left in the gas tank the last round or two. And for that reason, he changed his style, right? Instead of consistently throwing pressure, nonstop throwing offense, he decided to wait for moments to explode with big combos. And unfortunately, it wasn't enough because Stipe was consistent from round one to round five, just like he was in the last fight. He has consistent output throughout a five-round fight. He doesn't blow his load early. He doesn't let it all go by wrestling when he doesn't have to. The one time that Daniel Cormier was able to take down Stipe Miocic in the first round of their second fight, if you watch the footage, Nick, it takes about five or six seconds for Daniel Cormier to go from starting the takedown to actually lifting Miocic over uh, on his shoulder, right? Those five or six seconds, Stipe Miocic literally drops all of his body weight onto Daniel Cormier as Daniel Cormier is bent over. That contributed to DC being tired late in the fight. DC couldn't afford to go for consistent takedowns. The only way that he was going to win on points is by throwing out a lot of offense. And in that case, he was going to be exhausted and finished late. So this is not a good style matchup for him. As much as DC was able to get that first round knockout in their first fight, it was more good fortune than anything else. That shot landed on Stipe probably eight or nine times since that first fight by Daniel Cormier. And not a single other time, other time did it even rock Miocic. I think there's a lot to be said about the fact that Biocic was coming off of that Francis Ngannou war leading up to that uh, DC matchup in, in the first time they fought. And yeah, like this is a bad style matchup for DC is what I discovered in my research, and that's how it played out. DC had almost no way to win except for an early finish, and how the heck are you going to finish Stipe Miocic unless luck is just genuinely on your side like it was that first time? wasn't going to happen. Uh, I do respect DC for addressing his energy management, I guess, right? The fact that he wasn't just nonstop throwing. It was smart, but his explosions weren't enough to lock him that fight. And he looked fresher in that fifth round than he did in the third round of their last fight. So it worked, right, to some extent. The problem is he couldn't bank enough of those rounds. They were all fairly competitive, but Miocic, his power, his countering, they were all there. And another thing that I talked about in the breakdown video is that Whichever man is pushing forward and throwing first is at a disadvantage in this style matchup. In the first fight, Stipe Miocic decided this is the smaller man coming up to my weight division. He's notably shorter than me. He used to compete at 205. I'm going to bully him. And Stipe just pressed forward. He was just throwing bombs, throwing heat at Cormier from the very beginning. And Cormier had to kind of back up for the most part. Leading up to that first round knockout of their first fight, Stipe Miocic had run into three or four of DC's big counters. And for me, it seemed clear that the person who is countering is going to win this fight from those first two bouts. And that's how this worked out as well. Uh, Stipe Miocic was, when he was pressuring, he wasn't throwing, he wasn't giving DC anything to counter. Um, and when DC was throwing first, Stipe was able to counter him effectively. Uh, again, DC just didn't have the gas tank. It's impossible to have that sort of gas tank without steroids at the age of 41 against a stronger opponent to be able to consistently take him down. Stipe Miocic showed that he's the stronger man in that clinch in the first two fights, and this was the case here as well. 
look, it's a shame for DC having to go out like this, but he didn't get knocked out horribly, right? It was a competitive decision loss. Uh, I will say the eye pokes were a big part of the narrative of my breakdown video as well. And I think I counted four or five clear eye pokes that Daniel Cormier landed on Stipe Miocic throughout those first two fights. And from what I understand, it caused a detached retina on Stipe Miocic, I believe in the second fight that Stipe ended up actually winning. And then the same thing happened to Daniel Cormier in this bout. Stipe Miocic accidentally poked him. This detached his retina and he wasn't able to see from his left eye. But that's no excuse. That's karma, man. You're going to eye poke a man that many times throughout three bouts and you get one back? That's fucking karma, dude. You detached his retina in the past. Uh, there's, there's several instances of DC throwing eye pokes that look absolutely intentional. Literally, literally brazenly like sticking his fingers out, brushing them left and then brushing them right, right into Stipe Miocic's face, right into his eyes. So I have no pity for DC for the eye pokes, but I do like the guy a lot. He's he's a solid fighter. He's a great analyst. And look, I, I think he's probably going to compete again. I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC sets him up for another title fight of some sort. It's just difficult given that uh, John Jones, up until technically recently, has been the light heavyweight champion, and Stipe is the heavyweight champion. And those are the two men that DC just cannot beat. Yeah, well, frankly, what's going to happen is we're going to get a title fight. I don't know if you know this or not, but yesterday, John Jones uh, relinquished the light heavyweight title. Yeah, I mean, he he made the Twitter announcement. I mean, he's honestly being an attention whore, just like Conor McGregor. After Stipe Miocic had a great night, John Jones decides, I'm going to use this to get everyone to talk about me. It's a douchebag move. I don't respect it in Conor, and I don't respect it in John Jones. But go on. No, no, but he, but he's, well, the fact is he's vacated. And that's a, that's a personal issue, and I understand that. But the fact is... The title is now vacant at light heavyweight, which means that the upcoming bout that was scheduled between uh, Jan Blankovic and Dominic Reyes is likely for the light heavyweight title. I actually didn't realize that was already scheduled, Nick. That's good to know. It's now it's now scheduled. Um, I think it – well, you know, it might currently be on the undercard of uh, – which, which uh, I think it's the UFC 253. Yeah, if it's the UFC 253, isn't that um, – isn't that – uh, Adesanya, Adesanya Costa, UFC 253. Um, yeah, it is Adesanya. So they're going to put it is Adesanya. So they're going to are they going to put two title fights there, or are they doing kind of a round robin with these other title fights with Thiago Santos having a fight coming up with Anthony Smith and Alexander Rachik? I would imagine they'd want to fill that fill that void right away and and get a title fight on the books. And this is the fight that's most clearly the title fight. I mean. Frankly, Dominic Reyes, Tiago Santos would be the one to would be the the most perfect one. But Jan Jan has has done what he can, and I think they they listen. We've seen Dominic Reyes in the Toyo in the Toyo tires commercials, so they see they see him as being a, a marketable dude. I I mean, Dominic Reyes is great. I think I also think that listen. I think DC's done. I think his eye is going to take a long time. I think he's got another kid on the way. He's a great commentator. He loves to eat. He's not going to go down to light heavyweight and beat Dominic Reyes. Nick, you are so quick to believe an MMA fighter when he says, I'm retiring. We had the same conversation about Paul Felder. Uh, we had a similar conversation about Triple C. Paul Felder's a, a, Paul Felder's a fairly young dude. in Well, a comparatively young dude um, in, in, in great shape. Triple C, I do think, will, will be back for the right fight. That was about money. Daniel Cormier is old, he's injured, and he's got a family, and he's been doing this his whole life. Did he 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 looked over the hill? I, he fought as, as as good as he could, but he did not. His his paths to victory are are getting smaller. He has to fight the perfect fight and manage his gas tank. There's too many 
there's too many deficiencies now. I don't think there. I don't think there are any more deficient. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think there are any more deficiencies than there were a couple of years ago. I think him blowing his load was a deficiency, you know, in that second Stipe fight. But outside of that, the guy doesn't have a lot of deficiencies. The fact of the matter is, he's five eleven, competing against six four and six five men who happen to be the greatest in those two divisions. He's just not the best. Is all it is. I don't think he can take shots the way that he used to. He gets rocked by these Stipe shots, and there's no way that's – I don't believe that Stipe Miocic hits harder than an Anthony Johnson head kick, clean Anthony Johnson head kick. Wait, clean Anthony Johnson head kick, to be fair, landed on the nose and didn't really have like a concussive sort of blow. It just landed kind of at the very end of the kick on the tip of the nose and broke his nose. Uh, but He ate but Big Johnson shots too. He, he ate Big I, Johnson – here's the thing. Daniel Cormier has been rocked in – Probably, I don't know, six or seven of his UFC fights. Him being rocked is nothing new. He was rocked six years ago. Like, he was rocked, you know, a year ago. He rocked against against Jones, too. He got rocked. Gustafson, he he got rocked. Yeah. yeah, And both Anthony Johnson fights, he got rocked, but he rolled with it really well. Yes. And and two Miocic fights. Yeah, I mean, he's only been finished by Miocic and by John Jones. And by the way, you have to quickly, we have to mention this. Stipe Miocic has beaten every man that he has ever faced except for one. And that one Stephen is Stefan Frickens true. That's right. Uh, you can make the argument that that Junior Dos Santos loss from 2014, that he deserved that decision, but he came back and avenged it with the knockout. You can make the argument that the DC loss, the first one, was a fluke, especially now that we've seen two more fights and we see who the better man is. And he avenged that one twice over. So, yeah, I don't think we're going to see a fight between him and Stefan Struve anytime soon. But just the fact that he is by far the best fighter in the history of heavyweight, in my opinion, even though I know there are other fighters with uh, with a couple of more big names on their record, and he didn't get the chance to fight Cain Velasquez, unfortunately. But he did he did beat oh, men. Be I know he did beat men that beat Cain Velasquez, though, and uh, and that Francis Ngannou win, man, that looks better and better over time. Unfortunately, I think Francis Ngannou is coming up next, and he's going to be a lot more prepared to fight this more weathered version. I of agree. Stipe. So you know, well, he's also mentally. Ngannou's Ngannou's also ex- much. I believe he's much stronger mentally now. Yeah, more experienced. I mean, he fought. He's just that's a. We'll see. That'll be an exciting fight to talk about. Let's talk about the rest of this card real quick before we get into this week's picks, though, because, like I said, it, I did find it underwhelming. Um, but there's a bunch of fights we at least have to mention. Yes, sir. Uh, I think um, hype train derailed. Sean O'Malley, not not a ton to say about this, except you had said, and every I think any, all pundits agreed, don't sleep on, che- uh, on on Marlon Chito Vera, who came in with a great attitude, the opposite attitude of O'Malley, who literally says in his video, I always knew I wanted to be a celebrity, I want to be an A-lister, not I want to be a fighter, but I want to be an A-lister. Right. And then you've got then you've got Marlon Chito Vera rolling up like he's looking for a fight in the prison yard, being like, fuck all that shit, I got kids to feed, and I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> Nick, Marlon Vera is doing a phenomenal job of just very quickly becoming one of my guys. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't, he became every, I think he became everybody's guy because the UFC really screwed up in their, in their marketing of Sean O'Malley because this, this fresh faced Harry Potter looking motherfucker (laughs) coming off of the contender series, you know, had a certain charm to him. And then he got like very Connor, like very, like, just hip, hipstered out with these ridiculous yeah. robes yep. and he became kind he became kind of like a youtube star like twitch guy um and less you know less like a fighter and i get that like crossover appeal is important and i get that he's young and he's certainly a talented striker but man for the core they did, did not done a lot to make him more likable 
um, he was doing fine on his own. And then the UFC started putting other stupid video packages. So I believe pretty much every hardcore fan was excited to watch to watch like uh, a minimalist, just badass guy like, like Cheeto Vera um, drop those elbows. Love me some motherfucking Cheeto Vera. We do have to quickly talk about the injury, Sean O'Malley. Um, it looked to me like it was pretty clear cut, especially given that we have the x-ray results now. Sean O'Malley's leg is not broken. What happened was Marlon Cheeto Vera landed a single calf kick. And by the way, Sean O'Malley landed like four or five. Cheeto Vera landed a single calf kick. And what it does is it makes the muscle on the front of your shin, that part of your calf, it makes it not work. And if that doesn't work, right, it kind of deactivates it for, for a short term. And when that doesn't work, you're not able to lift kind of the front of your foot up. So when you take yeah, a step, yeah, we saw it with Cejudo. Yeah, yeah, Sorry yeah. To yeah. No, no worries. Uh, and so, and so you're you're not able to lift that front of your foot up. So when you take a step forward, you're not able to actually land on the bottom of your foot. You, you end up kind of grazing your your toenails on the on the mat and and get, doing that weird stepping thing that Sean O'Malley did, where he twisted possibly his ankle. But it's a temporary thing. And the way that Sean O'Malley was reacting, and granted, we haven't seen an MRI yet. Maybe there's a ligament tear or something. But the way that Sean O'Malley reacted, you would think that like. He, Anderson Silva, broke his shin in half. Dude, like, a lot of fighters, including Triple C, have won their first championship after experiencing that in the first I round. I know. So, it was bad. Yeah, this better was, be a serious injury. It was, bad, it was bad for him. 100%. He, it's twice now. It's twice now he's gotten... Like, listen, even when you get hurt, this is going to make me sound like an asshole, but, like... Have your cornermen prop you up and limp your ass back there. That's twice he's been carted out of the cage. Well, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm like the last time I'm fine with that. I guess you're right. Like he's he's a glutton for drama and he loves being the center of attention. I get that, and being carried out makes you seem like this, you know, this this poor pitied hero or what the heck else. But not, not to Cody, <laughs> Cody. No, no sir. Him. Well, well, no, uh, <laughs> Cody. To be fair, Cody can't really. Uh, Cody Garbrandt can't really be talking shit coming off three knockouts and one win. Like, like you got horribly knocked out. Like this guy. Granted, it was an injury. He got knocked out pretty badly against Vera. But I don't know. I don't know that Cody can be talking all that shit. Also, I wouldn't mind a fight between uh, Cody and Marlon Vera. I know Cody's moving down to one twenty-five. I think we're gonna to, oh, to challenge I, wait, for that what? title. Yeah, you didn't hear about C- Cody cutting down to one twenty-five and challenging Figueredo. No, I didn't. Oh yeah, th- th- that's at least in the works. I don't think it's officially signed yet, but that is what the UFC I don't, is currently I don't, working I don't on. Like, I don't like it. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, he's he's extremely fast, even for 125. But that chin is still going to be a liability against the heavy hitter. But 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 let's get back to yeah, O'Malley. Here's the thing: if this is not a ligament tear, then like I'm going to question the guy's heart seriously. He like screamed like a girl about that about that. He shin. did scream. Like it better be a real injury, is all I'm saying. Otherwise, like. Like, dude, I don't know if you're made for this. We'll see. There's, there's still, there's still plenty of time to go. But he took one like, fucking calf kick, and that was done, Nick. Yeah, no, I agree. I'd also like to apologize to our listeners for using the term "scream like a girl" when the the greatest pound for pound fighter in the world right now, Amanda Nunes, is also female. Have you ever heard Amanda Nunes scream after she finishes somebody? That someone who's married with a daughter just using the term "scream like a girl" is a little archaic, and I just want, I just, I need to hold you accountable because you're my friend. Nick, you're dead to me. <laughs> so, uh, so, so yeah, we've got Jorginho Rosenstruck, Jr. DeSantos. Uh, I initially thought JDS was going to be the busier man. All he has to do is get, stay out of the way of Jorginho's big bombs. He's faster. He's more technical. He's more busy. Uh, and then I changed my pick because I realized all Rosenstruck really has to do is land a single clean shot, and JDS won't even try to 
survive or try to defend after that. It's going to be all over. He's just going to cover up, go into a ball, and wait for the referee to stop it. And that's kind of how it happened. JDS did really well early. He won every second of that fight except for the last three or four. And he was he's the more technical fighter. He's just not a fighter with a chin left. He's not a fighter with any heart left. And Jorginho's Rosenstrike's power is something special. Yeah, it went, it went basically the way that I thought it would. My fear was that a la Overeem that it might it might take you know twenty three minutes for Rosenstrike to get his shot and he only had fifteen minutes, but um, but he did. I do think he's he's quite a technical striker. He's not the best overall MMA fighter, um, but he does he does have remarkable power. I don't think Jorginho Rosenstrike is going to be able to beat a Curtis Blades. No, I think that's a terrible stat matchup for him. But Curtis Blades yeah. is only lost by knockout to a really hard hitting counterpuncher in his career so far. So. If anyone outside of France Sangano could beat Curtis Blaze, it's probably Jairzinho Rosenstrike. Five rounds to just land a shot on him. It's realistic. Curtis Blaze showed in his last fight that, you know, a taller striker who can survive his takedowns can do Yeah, can do something I don't think Rosenstrike will survive his takedowns. I think Derek Lewis against Rosenstrike is going to be next and a lot more fun. Oh, I would love oh, I would love that, Nick. That's literally getting me excited and hot and bothered. Now, Daniel oh, oh, Pineda. Geez, geez. <laughs> Daniel Pineda got that second round crucifix TKO over Herbert Burns. Herbert Burns not only didn't make weight, he came in as a big favorite. Not only did he not make weight, not only did he look out of shape, but he got tired almost immediately. I don't know what happened, why he couldn't have this camp, but Daniel Pineda, who took this fight on short notice, Daniel Pineda is coming off a steroid suspension. And by the way, it's not like you get off the steroids and then suddenly you're you're a weak bastard. It takes a while for that process to happen. As we saw with Vitor Belfort, he was still dangerous for a little while after he got off the juice. Even though his body started to deflate, Daniel Pereira still has some of the benefits from that steroid suspension. It was only a six month suspension. And uh, again, Daniel Pereira won the MMA math game. Pereira beat one of Herbert Burns' uh, opponents that beat him. So the MMA math uh, favored Pereira, and that's how it worked out here. Um, yeah, man. It was not what I expected based on Pereira's recent track record and my feeling about um, him popping. And, you know, Burns didn't show up prepared. No, sir. That's what it, that's I, I do what it. want to quickly say the main card, Nick, so far we got Miocic Cormier, good fight. O'Malley Vera, great fight, good finish. Rosenstruck Jr. Dos Santos, phenomenal knockout. Pineda versus Herbert Burns, a huge upset, a great fight. Dude, it's a great main card. I don't know why you're lukewarm about it. I disagree. Um, I thought, I mean, to me, I look at it and I'm like, again, Cormier to me looked uh, diminished. I know you don't agree. Um, I was hope I'm very very thrilled for Vera and it and it was exciting that it happened. But I was I was hoping for a, a longer, uh, more com- more competitive fight where we learn a little bit more about about Sean O'Malley. I mean, we definitely learned something about Sean O'Malley. We learned something, but we, yeah, but not what I thought we'd learn. You know what I mean? I thought Rosenstrike and Dos Santos was generally really tentative until it wasn't. Dos Santos was a little bit busier. Rosenstrike looked really looked really tense. Um, Pineda, Bur- Pineda Burns was fun, and then. I didn't really have much fun watching uh, uh, Marab Devalavashi against John Dodson because Dodson didn't throw any punches. <laughs> like <laughs> Dodson does this a lot, and if you don't run right into his shots, he's you know he's probably not going to counter you and hurt you, and that's really the main way he's been winning a lot of his fights is slower fighters rushing right into his offense to his counter left. And Marab Devashvili was disciplined, man. He had so much energy that he could have used in a fight that he had to just express it in between rounds. After the fight, he just started yelling like a madman. Uh, the guy, he, he's a pleasure. He's terrifying. Uh, he's, 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 a pl- uh, he's not terrifying because we don't have to face him in competition. But uh, Right, as an opponent, he, he's yeah. terrifying. Oh, yeah, he's yeah, terrifying. I agree. Like, man, who, like he's by far the strongest guy in the 
division. By far the best conditioning in the division. By far the best takedowns in the division. Like, really fucking tough combination of attributes to deal with. And he is extremely close with number one contender, arguably the best 135-pounder in the world, Aljamain Sterling. And iron sharpens iron, and these two guys are a great example of it. So what does he do then? Because Sterling's going to get Sterling, hopefully, going to get a shot at Jan. But like, what's the fight for Deval, uh, for Deval Shavili? I mean, he's probably not going to fight for the title if Sterling is the champion. So he's oh. he, it's going to be kind of a, a bit of a weird situation. I wouldn't be surprised if he's willing to go up to one forty five, even though he's a pretty short guy. Um, he can he can do okay there too. You know, those guys will be slower, and Mirab is not the fastest guy, uh, but he's explosive and he's powerful, and his power will translate okay there. I don't think the 10 pound difference will make it so he suddenly can't get, uh, can't throw guys around. And I will say, he only got credit for two takedowns here, and I get that you only get credit for takedowns if you can keep the guy down, but man, he like dropped John Dotson like multiple times, except they didn't count as takedowns because John Dotson is brilliant at popping back up to his feet immediately. He uses the momentum of the takedown to, to spring back up. Yeah, I think he's two fights away from one or two fights away from a title shot. What I think will happen, and we'll, we have to talk about this main event, but um, if I think if Pedro Munoz is victorious this weekend, that that's the next fight. I would be very much into that. I, w- I would love to see it, Nick. There's no one else between them. You're not going to put him against Aldo because that that kills the UFC from a marketing standpoint with Aldo. No, I don't think anyone wants to see him against Rob Font. A sunset's coming off a loss. Um, Garbrand doesn't take that fight. Especially if he's got if he's fighting uh, at one twenty five, Sanhagen's coming off of a loss. Like, and I believe that Marais has something lined up. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm there with you. I would love to see it. I think the timeline allows for it. And shit, if if but for some reason Pedro Munoz doesn't take damage uh, and he's fresh, maybe these guys can fight in the next month or two. That would be that would be pretty awesome uh, from this perspective. Vince Pichel survived a you know a, a good Jim Miller in the first round, as we've known to expect. Jim Miller, if he doesn't finish you in the first round, he is probably going to lose a decision, and that's exactly how this happened. Pichel is a capable, solid guy. He's a year older than Miller, but has like a quarter of the mileage. Miller has like forty-seven fights to Pichel's fifteen now. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's. It's, it's I guess, expected at this point, even though Miller should have the craft advantage over most guys. Vince Pichel has a lot of craft to him as well. Virna Jandiroba made quick work of Felice Herrick. Perfect takedown, perfect armbar, perfect positional change. She's going to be top five in very short order uh, at the rate that she's going. Danny Chavez had a great debut against TJ Brown, dominated him, and it was really hard to get footage on Chavez. Otherwise, if I had seen anything like that, I would have absolutely picked him. But, yeah, I had TJ Brown, and that one hurt me as well. Lavinia Souza, Ashley Yoder, that was a bit of a screw job. I thought that Ashley Yoder actually earned that, and Lavinia Souza walked away with the decision. Chris Dukas, first-round knockout over Parker Porter. I expected Porter to survive the first round and then take over late, but at literally at the very last 30 seconds of that first round, he got finished. And Kai Kamaka third versus Tony Kelly was a phenomenal fight, and Kai Kamaka uh, came out on top. Tony Kelly, somebody to look forward to as well. You got any thoughts on any of those fights, buddy? Um, I do, but I'm going to reserve them because I want to get talking about this next card. Let's fucking do this. We'll take a break, come back, and break down UFC Fight Night Munoz versus Edgar for you guys. Back on the MMA Geek Seal of a podcast, and we're going into our draft picks, ladies and gents. The way this works is very simple. We each take turns picking fighters competing on the upcoming event at the end of Saturday night. Whichever of us 
pick the most winning fighters ends up winning the week. I've got 12 event wins. Nick has got seven now. He's been catching up to me lately. Nick, I get the first pick on this one. And naturally, I'm going to take the biggest favorite. Big mystery. Big mystery. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm going to take the biggest favorite on the card. I'm going to take Maria Agapova to, you know, do literally whatever the heck she could possibly want to uh, Shayna Dobson here. Dobson trains at an elevation fight team. She's not a UFC caliber fighter. She's 3-5 and if you count uh, the ultimate fighter. Maria Agapova is a talented 23-year-old prospect. Non-stop aggression, power in her hands, trains at American top team. She's a southpaw who is just as aggressive on the mat as she is standing up. Look, she's kind of the Nikita Krylov of, of women's, uh, of women's uh, I think it's the 115-pound division, right? Um, she will dominate and finish in the first round by whatever she wants. Yep. That's how, that's a minus 1250 favorite. Yes, sir. That's me. <laughs> it's a bummer that I don't, I don't have that one uh, earlier. I'm going to go with this, this uh, prelim uh, light heavyweight fight. We've got um, Ike Villanueva coming down from heavyweight to fight uh, Jorge uh, George Street uh, Gonzalez. Um, I think, I think Gonzalez is pretty nasty. I think he's, I think he's a mean dude. Who uh, who finishes, uh, you know, who finishes fights? And Ike, Ike Villanueva was not um, was not very impressive a couple months ago against Chase Sherman, who himself is not, um, you know, is a guy that that lost to, to Joey Beltran um, and and some other mediocre fighters, yeah, not terrific heavy, he- yeah, me- yes, mediocre heavyweights at that. I think uh, I think Gonzalez is a tighter game. I think he's going to be way faster, and I think he's going to land early. I think this fight. I think this fight ends within a minute, within a minute and a half, uh, with Gonzalez uh, standing triumphantly over a uh, probably looking flabby for two hundred five uh, Villanueva. Yeah, I mean Villanueva made his UFC debut on short notice against the overall mediocre Sherman. I hear that, but he should have the technique advantage in just about every way here. George Gonzalez is powerful and explosive, but man, technically he's really lacking. So I'm going to lean with Villanueva at the moment. I might change this pick just because again he's got the. He's got like such a big discrepancy in technique, but I wouldn't be surprised if Gonzalez lands a bomb, especially with Villanueva coming off a knockout loss. My second pick, Nick, by the way, this was literally last on my list because I was uh, the least confident in it. My second pick is going to be Timur Valuev to beat Mark Striegel. That was my number. That's my number three. That makes yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Valuev should be busier, more explosive, and have a better gas tank over Striegel. Plus, Striegel is cutting down to 135 for the first time in a while. And the last time he did, he actually gassed out midway through the fight. Um, looking forward to Valuev's debut. Um, uh, for number three or my next pick, I'm going to pick uh, Mizuki. And in- do you agree with that one, Nick? Oh yeah, definitely. Cool. I just said it was when I said it was my number three. It wasn't because I picked Striegel. <laughs> Got um, it. <laughs> You jabroni. <laughs> um, I'm going to pick uh, uh, Mizuki Inoue, uh, kind of a, a women's MMA legend, against the far less accomplished uh, Amanda Amanda Limos, who's you know got a, who's got a little bit of swagger. I just think that it, I think that Inoue's game is going to be too much for her. Yeah, Inoue is a relentless pressure fighter. Trains at Sarah Longo, one unknown in the UFC. Amanda Lemos is explosive, powerful striker with kind of a strength based submission game. Uh, she made her debut at 135 pounds against Leslie Smith, and she ran out of gas quickly. But uh, it's because Leslie Smith is way bigger, and she's like a high, high-pressure fighter. Even though this is at 115, Lemos' style doesn't leave gas for late rounds and, in a way, isn't likely to get finished early. So, so I do pick in a way by decision, but Lemos is going to have the 
bit of a size, strength advantage, explosiveness advantage, speed advantage, so would not be at all shocked if Lamos took this. This was my second to last picnic, so I'm, I'm liking I'm liking your picking order so far on this one. Uh, just, just hard to be confident given Lamos just fucking athleticism. Uh, my next picnic I'm going to take in the main event, Pedro Munoz to beat Frankie Edgar. Pedro's a pressure fighter, power in his hands. He's got uh, solid body and calf kicks. He's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt who's known mostly for his guillotine, especially when his opponents shoot. He's kind of slow for 135 and doesn't really have head movement. He gets hit a lot. He's kind of a pressure fighter with no legitimate defense. Like DC, right, constantly moves his head and is not uh, constantly throwing strikes. He usually kind of fakes and faints and waits for you to throw before he counters, whereas Pedro Munoz does not move his head, so his defense isn't really the same, and he throws first at almost all times. He's got limited reach at 64 and a half inches, and there are many flyweights that have a longer reach than that. Edgar's strengths are his wrestling background, sharp boxing, good footwork. He's got good head movement and good top control, but he doesn't have very much power. He doesn't really sit down at his punches because he's really focused on the footwork and the defense. His takedown ability is going down with age. He's got one takedown out of his last 26 attempts in his last four fights, Nick. He's losing his durability. His chin is going. He's 38 years old. Um, and he's a little guy, right? So at the lower divisions, when your reflexes are starting to go, when your speed is starting to go, when your chin is starting to go, it kind of all falls apart. So I'd pick Edgar for a few years ago to beat Munoz 10 out of 10 times because of speed and durability. But the calf kicks will hurt his footwork. Pedro's power can finish him on the counter, which is how he's been getting knocked out lately as he lunges in with a combo and he gets cracked uh, in, in exchange for that. Pedro's guillotine is a counter to Frankie's takedown, so Frankie might be more careful than usual with that, which will take away his takedown ability. And Pedro has over 80% takedown defense, so that's not in Frankie's favor either. I like Pedro Munoz. who's going to be the slower guy here, but way more durable with way more power. Yeah, I um, I you know, Frankie's my favorite fighter ever, but I came to essentially the same conclusion. I looked at Munoz's takedown defense against uh, Edgar, just not having a lot of success. I don't think Edgar's takedown style is that susceptible to getting caught in a guillotine. Um, but regardless, I just don't think Edgar's going to be able to take him down. Yep. Um, and it's likely that over five rounds, uh, he gets cracked. I just don't. It's possible. Like I, you know, it could be. It. It's. I mean, we'll see, but it's. I just think it's very. It's very unlikely that this version of Frankie Edgar making the first real weight cut of his career. Um, you know, thirty eight is not a great time to start cutting weight. I feel that. Um, so yeah, it's going to be. A, I'm not looking forward to this. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, then I guess I've got now. It gets. Uh, I know you don't. You're not a fan of my current picks, even uh, even though there's there's clearly something something. Oh, I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of you picking the fights that I'm least sure about. I'm I'm all for it, Nick. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go with uh, Slow Mike Rodriguez over um, over. Pro, uh, how do you say this guy's name? Uh, uh, Prochnia, I think. Prochnia, Martin Prochnia. Prochnio uh, fought really, really poorly his last time out. He doesn't have great fight IQ. Uh, Mike Rodriguez, uh, is, what I think is going to happen is Prochnio is going to get clipped um, at some point, and then like his, he just doesn't, he doesn't seem like strategically, mentally, he's he's a UFC level guy. Um, so I think what happens is he's going to get rattled. He's going to lose his composure. Mike Rodriguez will probably finish or at least dominate. Yeah, Rodriguez, he's 
like a hard, fast puncher. He's got good kicks and knees. 6'4 with an 82.5-inch reach, which is huge. He gets up from takedowns fairly quickly, but he gives up plenty of takedowns, so his wrestling isn't very good. And he's coming off of a knockout loss, so his chin may be compromised. Prashna is a big, strong guy. He hits hard. He's aggressive. He's got bad striking technique. He's got bad takedown defense. He's got a bad ground game. He's got a glass chin. He took two years <laughs> off. I'm, dude, why, did, I'm, why did why is why are we picking this guy this fight now? That's just the that's the worst that's that's the worst description you've given anyone. No, th- th- and that is fair. But to be to be honest with Rodriguez, right? Like he he's easy to take down, and we've seen that time and time again in his UFC career so far. He's coming off a knockout loss. Prochnia hits hard, if nothing else. So you know you can't really be that sure on Rodriguez. But yeah, like he's like Prochnia is pretty fucking terrible overall. He took two years off after two knockout losses in 2018 against Sam Alvey and Magomed Ankalaev. Like, these are not, like, inexperienced, shitty fighters who don't have power, right? So it's understandable. Here's the thing. Both times that he got knocked out between those two bouts were by a southpaw check right hook on the counter as he was lunging in with offense, right? Guess who throws that exact technique as a southpaw? Mike Rodriguez. Uh, Rodriguez might get caught by a sloppy bomb, but this is absolutely his fight to lose. My next pick is going to be in the Takashi Sato versus Daniel D-Rod Rodriguez matchup, Sato is 2-1 in the UFC with two knockouts. He's a southpaw with a fast, powerful left hand. He got outcrafted by Bilal Muhammad, but Bilal is known for his craft, so it's not something to be ashamed of. Trains with hard knocks, 365 under Henry Hooft. Rodriguez is tall for welterweight at 6-1. He's 33 years old, but he's a promising up-and-comer, 12-1, and his only loss is by split decision. He beat Tim Means and Gabe Green. Green is very talented, and Tim Means, we all know. He has a sharp southpaw jab, a hard left hand. His UFC debut came on short notice against Means, and he submitted him after hurting him with the left cross. So there's a submission game potentially there as well, even though it was a standing guillotine. Generally jabs to prompt the opponent to come in, which is when he counters with uh, that big left hand uh, or boxing combo in general. Rodriguez's chin should be okay against uh, Sato's powerful left hand. In a southpaw versus southpaw matchup, the right jab is much more important. It's going to be much more landable against a fighter with the same stance as you. Southpaw versus southpaw, orthodox versus orthodox. And Rodriguez has an incredible jab, and it's going to work really well against Sato's southpaw style. And uh, I, I expect Rodriguez to take a decision here. Uh, I was going to pick Sato, but I, All I right, think I like make it. a good case. Um I I just I like Sato's power punching. I do. I don't blame you. That left hand is nasty. I just kind of dig him. Oof, now we get into the tricky ones. I'm gonna go with uh, with um, Austin Hubbard over uh, Joe Selecki. Listen, Selecki looked great against Matt Wyman, but what do we learn from that? I Not mean, much. You know, even a ham and egger like you would probably look really good against Matt Wyman at this point. I love ham and eggs. <laughs> Austin, Austin Hubbard in the you know is coming off of essentially retiring uh what was his name max rothkoff um who gave who gave didn't who a couple of weeks ago um didn't get you know didn't get off the stool um this is i, I actually this is going to be a really exciting fight um so like he sticks to people like glue hubbard scott uh is just a mean striker uh he's a good guy like hubbard i think is good all around but he's got he's just a i think he's a pretty vicious dude um is what we saw in uh you know, in that second round of, of the Rosh Cup fight. Um, I don't know what's going to happen here. I'm really looking forward to this one. I think this is can't miss television. Uh, I think, I think over time, uh, Hubbard's going to do, is going to do damage uh, more than Selecki's going to stick to him. Yeah. Hubbard is an experienced veteran. He's not very athletic, but he is crafty. 
kind of a jack of all trades with great cardio, and I'd say he prefers to strike. Like he looked pretty nasty in a striking against Roshkov, but it's because Roshkov sucks and had no gas tank. He's completely inexperienced, and especially in the stand-up department, he trains at Elevation Fight Team, which is kind of what accounts for his conditioning advantage over most fighters. So, like he's a pressure grappler, excellent jiu-jitsu, good gas tank. Looks like he's lost some like the more athletic opponents and that doesn't really describe Hubbard so for that reason I disagree I think Selecki should be able to make a take dominant positions on the ground for a decision Hubbard gave up 13 takedowns in his four UFC fights Selecki's gonna get takedowns here in all likelihood but if Selecki's cardio runs low Hubbard can do damage late so I, I do hear where you're coming from my next pick is I have very little confidence in these two I'm going to pick Ovin St. Peru to beat Alonzo Menefield, and I assume that you yeah. disagree with this one. Oh, do you no, agree? no, yeah. no. I did, I did, I did agree with this one, but like, who the hell knows? <laughs> no, no, no joke. The truth of the matter is that you can't really trust St. Peru. Like, you can't trust the guy to perform. He can come in sometimes with great conditioning, and and sometimes not. He's super experienced. St. Peru is. He's got a great bomb flu choke. He's got power in his hands. He's got fast kicks. Speed and explosiveness for 205 is pretty top-notch, I would say, with him. His weaknesses are that his conditioning is on and off. He's not really reliable in that way. Granted, Ben Rothwell did put his weight on him every chance he got in that uh, heavyweight fight that he's coming off of recently. His fight IQ isn't very good for a guy that's this experienced, but he does have some craft. He's got a mediocre camp. Nobody's ever heard of them, and they haven't really come out with any other decent fighters. Years of wear and tear uh, on on him already, and he's 37 years old. Manifield is a pressure fighter. He's got heavy hands, finishing instincts. In fact, he's got 100% finishing rate, and he trains at a good camp in Fortis MMA. His weaknesses are that he's a 32-year-old prospect. He started pretty late. Conditioning after the first round is pretty shoddy, judging by his last fight, right? And he took this fight on nine days' notice, Nick. So he he, he slows down and loses power. His second and third round uh, offense is not nearly as strong as his first. He takes as many hits as he lands, but usually he's okay since he has knockout power and uh, not much skill in the grappling department. Menefield is taking this on nine days' notice. His conditioning was already an issue. Imagine what it will be now. And St. Peru just needs to survive the first round, and then he should take over. He had almost two months to prepare versus uh, Menefield's nine days. So, yeah, like OSP to do his thing here. He loses to talented, experienced opponents, and that's not Menefield. There's a chance Menefield can catch him, but I don't like those odds. I'm, I'm with you there. Well, I mean, we'll see. There's a reason why it's last. Then we've got these little-known... These little known guys, and I guess I'm stuck with the last pick, and you had the first pick. It's going to be a tough one for me to win, unfortunately. I'm going to hope for the tie here. You're damn fucking right, it's a tough one for you to win. Well, you got you know you had the luck of the draw with the gimme fight. Listen, I take I get the first pick last week in the gimme fight, and my my the fight gets withdrawn. You let me take the three best fighters, in my opinion, on this card. That's your fault, not mine, buddy. I didn't get the oh, first. No, I'm talking three about picks. the main, I'm talking about the first pick. My other picks, I'm not worried about. Oh, fair enough. Um, yeah, this one I'm gonna. Go with the late replacement fighter Carlton uh, Minus or Minus against uh, Sem- against uh, Semmelsberger. If Minus is in shape, and I'm assuming he took the fight because he was after Philip Rowe withdrew, um, <clears throat> he's just got. I mean, he just has a the back of his baseball card is just more impressive. I think he's a tougher draw. He's someone who's beat Justin Buckles, the the team alpha male, uh, longtime coach. Um, he's been in there with Rick Story. He's got a couple more impressive victories, and he, he's going up against a you know a guy who I think is making his is it is, is it Matthew Semelsberger's debut in the UFC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In his debut, he's coming off of a win um, against an eight and five fighter. I just think Carlton minus is uh, a kind of a, a tougher draw. 
Matthew is a slugger, which should play into Minus's game. Uh, Minus's jab should keep him at bay. Um, Minus is hittable, so there is some risk here. But I, I agree with you on the pick. I mean, th- this is not one that we're going to, re- you know, invest a whole lot of tape study into. But I do favor Minus's jab to uh, to do well by him here, and I agree. He's he's had that you know high level fight against Rick Story. Granted, Rick Story is I'm sure a fraction of his former self. Still pretty good for the regional scene. Uh, so I'm there with you. So I'm quickly going to run through our picks. Nick, my first pick was Maria Agapova. Second, I chose Timor Valiev. Pedro Munoz was my third pick. Daniel Rodriguez, fourth. And fifth, I had Ovin St. Preux. Your first pick was Ike Villanueva. Second, you picked Mizuki Inoue. Third, you chose uh, Mike Rodriguez. Your fourth pick was Austin Hubbard, which we disagreed on. And your final pick was Carlton Minos. That'll do it for our picks, Nick. We are going to take a break. I'm going to come back and give you guys the MMA Geeks betting guide. Nikolai has to go. Nick, another one in the books. I look forward to claiming victory and retaining my championship. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I know I've got a busy week. I'm going to I'm going to be Skyping with Conan O'Brien, who wants to talk to the champ. I'm going to be, um, I think, well, for his Netflix show, Letterman wants to sit down with me, talking to some world leaders. You know how it is. Nick, I, I think you should probably see your therapist sooner than later if you think that's actually happening. Got a lot of celebrity friends, do you? You and Brad Pitt hanging out on the weekends? It's they're, okay. It's they're probably like fake Instagram accounts, but they still seem to <laughs> be proud of the fact that I beat you three weeks in a Nick, row. Nick, I am proud of the fact that you beat me three weeks in a row. Have a great week, buddy. Later. Back on the MMA Geeks Seal of a Podcast for the MMA Geeks Betting Guide. Now, last week, I ended up going largely even. I think I had like something like a, a little bit of a profit. I count that to be an even week. This week, I recommend investing in Maria Agapova, but at minus 1,000, it's an unreasonable number to actually put money into. So here's what I recommend. Invest in Agapova by first round finish. The odds are not out for that yet. I think you'll get plus odds and I'd, I'd invest anywhere between the 50 and, and $75 into that, especially at plus odds. Might net you as much as $100 if she could finish Dobson in the first. When Dobson gets finished, it is in the first round in her career. And Agapova, when she finishes, it's very early. So I think it's a great combination for Agapova, a good betting opportunity. For parlays, I recommend a parlay on Daniel Rodriguez and Mike Rodriguez. The Rodriguez parlay, we'll call it. $40 to win 51 on those two guys. I think Daniel Rodriguez is a pretty serious prospect, and he's fighting a guy that should be susceptible to his jab. And Mike Rodriguez is fighting an absolutely terrible fighter, so I like his odds there. Plus 127 for these two guys combined, I think, is a pretty good deal. Also, I recommend a bet on Pedro Munoz and Ovin St. Preux in a parlay. Plus 187 odds to get those two guys together. $40 to win 75 We all know Munoz is fighting Frankie Edgar, and Frankie Edgar is not where he used to be. There's a chance that Frankie Edgar's speed advantage might be enough here, but I doubt it. I expect Munoz to do his thing to hurt Frankie at some point, at the very least to win a clear decision with those calf kicks. And then we have OSP, who is fighting a guy who gassed out in the first round of his last fight, and he had a full training camp. And this time, Alonzo Manifield had only nine days to prepare for this fight. I expect him to be exhausted by the end of the first round, which is when OSP takes over. OSP does really well against those types of prospects that are relying on that first-round finish. Makes it through the first round, might lose that round, but then it's all his fight, and he tends to finish from there. So $40 to win 75 
on the parlay of Munoz and OSP at plus 187 odds. That'll do it for the betting for this week. And we can quickly look forward to next week's card. We have UFC Fight Night Smith versus Rockich, a great main event within, between Anthony Smith and Alexander Rockich. I wonder what the odds are on that one. I would expect Rockich should be a favorite. Robbie Lawler versus Neil Magny is a great matchup. Alexa Grosso is coming back. Ricardo Lamas versus Ryan Hall is a good matchup. Magomed Ankalaev versus Ian Kotelaba was moved to next week. Maki Pitolo is competing. Alex Caceres versus Jika Jakadze. Sean Brady is coming back against Christian Aguilar. Both of these guys have looked really good in the UFC thus far. And somehow, Nick's favorite, Hannah Cyphers, is getting another UFC opportunity, even though she is 10-6 and six overall and going into this fight on a three-fight losing streak. But when the UFC needs to fill up cards quickly, they're still going to give you a call. Unfortunately, Neil Magny versus Joff Neal was slated for the card, and that was uh, canceled. Neil had to withdraw for health reasons. And then Magomed Sharipov versus Rodriguez, Yair Rodriguez. Uh, Rodriguez fractured his ankle and pulled out of that one. That's, by the way, many times now that Rodriguez has pulled out of a bout with Magomed Sharipov. It's very clear that Rodriguez wants nothing to do with that fight, and I guess it's hard to blame him, but maybe don't accept the goddamn fight. Uh, that'll do it for this week, ladies and gents. Looking forward to boasting about my win next week. I'm going to get this win. Like, if I don't get this win, then everything is in Nick's favorite, and he's going to eventually overtake me with my 12 to his 7. I just feel like Nick picked four of my last five picks. The, the, the five fights that I was least confident in, he made those picks, and I got to pick four of the five first picks on my list. So I'm feeling really good about the odds here. With uh, people like Agapova, Valia, Munoz, and Rodriguez on my list, I'm feeling pretty confident. Looking forward to seeing the card play out. Thanks for listening, guys.